0: And it's interesting, we'll be looking at over the course of our sermon series here at, the, at the, the word of God and its place in our lives, but just that song is a good reminder that God's word can change us. God can, as it says in scripture, that we can be sanctified made holy through His truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, that you have given us truth, and God sometimes it's hard for us to hear sometimes we might think that we might wish that your word would say something else, but God, I pray that you would teach us to submit to your word and to see your goodness through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think of something that you enjoy. Something that hopefully that's not a sin, but also maybe not something that's like super spiritual, like, like worshiping or praying. With. if if you can think of it in these terms I I don't think there's anything that's actually neutral but think of something kind of in that neutral category something that you enjoy like for me I'm picking drinking Mountain Dew that's mine so something that you enjoy maybe it's watching football maybe it's hunting maybe it's woodworking maybe it's sewing maybe it's something else that you women like to do I don't know whatever think of something in your mind that you really enjoy now what if God said to you I want you to stop that want you to give it up. No more Mountain Dew. You can't even drink Mellow Yellow either. <laughs> no cheap substitutes. Um, what would you say if God said that to you about that thing that you enjoy? He said, I don't want you to do that anymore. Well, I'm sure there'd be lots of thoughts running around in our minds. Hopefully, we would all at least have the thought running through our mind of saying, well, yes, God, okay, if you want me to give that up, then okay, God, I'll do that. But I can also imagine that we might have some other thoughts running through our mind, thoughts like, but I don't want to. Or thoughts like, but come on, it's not all that bad. Like. Mountain Dew, come on, lots of people drink, lots of other things. Can't I just have one? And then we might start to justify it and start to say, well, okay, I know God said that, but maybe if I just cut back a little bit. Or, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, not drink it quite so often. Or we, but we might start to play this mind game with what God has clearly spoken. Now, the question I want you to consider over the next four weeks, we're doing a four-week sermon series entitled, Did God Really Say... And the question, there's a couple of them I want to ask right away. How do we respond to God's word? And if God tells us something, do we take him at his word? I'll I'll repeat those two questions. How do we respond to God's word? And if God tells us something, do we take him at his word? Today we're going to look at two very short passages in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at a command from God. And we're going to look at how Adam and Eve responded to that clear command. Then over the next three weeks, we're going to take the lessons that we've applied that we've learned from this message, and we're going to apply them to three very controversial topics in our day and age. The topics are hell, sexuality and abortion. Now, am I trying to stir up a hornet's nest here? Is that what it? No. In fact, I've been thinking about this sermon series for a long time, and I've actually been pretty hesitant to go into it but at the same time the reason that I finally decided to do this sermon series is because I believe that there is truth from God that we need to hear and it's kind of funny uh, you watch any news show and they'll, they'll tell you what evangelicals believe even if, even if they're not evangelicals they'll tell you what evangelicals believe and there's kind of this caricature out there but I want us to look at God's word we don't, we don't get our theology off of cable news we get our theology from God's Word. And we don't use our theology to to bash people, or to push anything down somebody's throat. No, what we want to do here is we want to hear what God has said, what God has clearly spoken, and then accept it as true. So if God has clearly spoken, how will we respond? Let me use another analogy here. I think this is the one I've shared here before, but I like this one. I was uh, a young boy, and my friend Michael was moving across town from one house in Fergus Falls to another, and they invited me over to help pack up. And, and In hindsight, I think I understand what they were doing. They were trying to make their son busy with me while the, the adults did the real work. But we were supposed to pack up the toys. And uh, you know what that means. You, you play with the toys, and then you throw some in a box, then you play with some more. And I saw one of Michael's toys there that I'd never seen before. It was a set of toy handcuffs. And, and I was holding them, and I kind of had this grin on my face, like, I want to play with these. And Michael said to me, Eric, don't put those on. I don't have the key for them. And, and I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, right, come on. Who would have toy handcuffs and wouldn't have the key? And big smile on my face, I put them on my wrist. And he says to me, Eric, why did you do that? I really don't have the key for that. And then all of a sudden it just hit me like, whoa, what have I done? I have just handcuffed myself, literally handcuffed myself injured myself because I just didn't listen to the clear word that my friend had clearly told me only injured myself now one of the points that I want to make during this sermon series is that we injure ourselves if we don't take God at his word if God has clearly said something we need to listen and my big idea for today then is simple from here we must take God at his word We must take God at his word. When God says something that we might wish that he hadn't said, we're tempted to find another way. We're tempted to say, oh, but I think I can still do this, or I can still go that direction. We might think that we can chart our own course, but I want to show you that there is no benefit to going our own way, and that we only endanger ourselves if we reject or disregard God's word. So to start off our series, we're going to look at a simple command from God to Adam and Eve and then we're going to analyze their response. So first what we're going to do, we're going to to walk through the two passages, and then we'll analyze what went wrong, and then we'll apply it to our lives. And I've I've got that written out in your bulletin there, that that course that we're going to chart today. But just a little context, and I think you all know this, but we're, we're reading in Genesis 2 and 3, and that's just after God had created everything. Created the universe, created Adam and Eve, created the Garden of Eden, and put Adam and Eve in there. And he said, it's, it's this wonderful place, and I'll walk with you there. But he gave them one command. And then after that command, we see the serpent come on the scene. And it's kind of interesting, in chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent just kind of appears on the scene, and it doesn't really describe who he is, although we, we now know from hindsight, looking back, that the serpent is either the devil, or at least an agent of the devil, and, and I would say probably the, the devil himself. Okay. So let's read it. Genesis 2:16 and 17. This is God speaking to Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then we fast forward to chapter 3, verse 1. And I'll read 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do now is we're just going to walk through this passage. I just want to point out some things. In 2.16, God told Adam that he could eat from any tree in the garden. And the word eat is repeated here in the original Hebrew. Now in Hebrew they didn't have bold or italics on their computers for some reason, so when they, when they had to emphasize a word, they just repeated it. And, and here God said, you can eat, eat any tree in the garden, saying go ahead and eat, eat, it's there for you, I want you to eat. And then in 2.17, God added one stipulation, saying that Adam must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, or else you will die. And here again, that word die is repeated. So just like he said, eat, eat, in, chapter, in verse 16, now he says, you will die, die, in verse 17. So he's trying to make himself really clear. You can eat, but don't eat that one, or you'll die, die. Now the command was given to Adam, but as we'll clearly see from chapter 3, Eve also knew the command. So either Adam gave it to Eve, or God himself gave it to Eve, but Eve knew it. And then the serpent came along, and he gave that famous line, Did God really say, in verse 1? And and that's why I've entitled this sermon series that. Did God really say? Because there is a temptation that comes to us not to believe the word of God. Notice what the serpent said. He said, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve gave the right answer. No is the right answer. She said in, in verse Uh, I believe it's in verse 2 there, she said, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. You see, the serpent was twisting God's words. He was trying to get Eve to believe something that God hadn't really said. Or he was trying to get Eve to, to question God's goodness. But he was actually using a lie to do it. Now, Eve at this point is right to correct the serpent. She added that there was one tree in the middle of the garden that they weren't supposed to eat from. She also said that they weren't supposed to touch it. And some people make a big deal out of that, that she added that in, saying that she added to God's command. And I don't make such a big deal of that, just because we don't know. It's possible that God actually did say that to her, and it's just not recorded in Scripture. But we'll we'll just move on from that point. Uh, But she's right. So far, Eve is holding her ground. She said, God said we could eat from the trees, but not from that one tree but then the serpent started to play on Eve's desires first of all he tried to convince Eve that she wouldn't die if she ate to paraphrase verse 4 the serpent says die? die? no God said in 2.17 you will die die (coughs) and the serpent comes and says die? die? no 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 no. that's not going to happen And then the serpent added another part in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know what? Everything he said in verse 5 is true. Everything there. We'll we'll see. In verse 7, it comes true. And in verse 22, it comes true. So verse 5, Satan, the serpent, was actually telling the truth there. But the the serpent was using that age-old trick of mixing the truth with a lie. He emphasized the fact that the fruit was good for gaining knowledge. But he had already lied about that part, about them not dying. So he played on their emotions. He said, when he was talking about it being good for knowledge, he said, don't you want that? God himself told you that this tree is good for gaining knowledge of good and evil. Don't you want that? Don't you think that God is being a little bit... uh, Ungodlike in saying that you shouldn't have that? Satan appeals to our desire for good things, our desire for pleasure. And I would say here that the serpent made a good argument in verse 5. But here's an important lesson that we need to learn, and this is one that I want you to carry with you as we go on the next three weeks of this series. That just because an argument has one good point, it doesn't mean that the whole argument is valid especially when we see like this one that is based on a lie. And that that lesson's going to be important as we move on to the topics of hell and sexuality and abortion. Because the people who disagree with us, they'll have lots of good parts of their arguments. But I want us to see what God has said so that we can base our arguments in, in truth. And by the way, when I say argument, I don't mean that we should argue either. I'm not suggesting that we use these to beat people over the head. I'm just saying that we should know what is true and be rooted in what is true. For some reason, which we'll get into later in our next section, Eve took the fruit, and then she gave some to Adam. And by the way, the Bible blames both of them sometimes in the New Testament it it blames Eve as the one who took the fruit but sometimes in the New Testament it blames Adam as the one who took the fruit and I would add to that that we're at fault too that we can't just look back at them and say oh man they messed it up for us I'd be living in paradise if it weren't for Adam and Eve no because we have proven every single one of us by our sins by our choices that we're sinners too And there were consequences for Adam and Eve's actions. In the part of chapter 3 that we didn't read, I'll just list a few of them. In verse 7, Adam and Eve became ashamed of their nakedness. In verse 10, Adam became afraid of God. And then in verses 15 to 19, we see the, the huge, dramatic negative effects of the curse that God brought about as a result of sin. It was the punishment, including things like pain and childbearing, marital tension, painful toil in work, and death. And that last one, death, I believe, is both a physical death and a spiritual. It's physical in that now our bodies degenerate and die. And it's spiritual in that our sin brings about a separation from God. And then one more consequence in verse 23 was banishment from the garden. God made this wonderful place, the Garden of Eden, paradise for Adam and Eve to live in, and after they sinned, one of the punishments was that they were kicked out of it and couldn't return because they disobeyed God's command. Now, I have to give a side note here. This is kind of getting away from our topic today, but as we're talking about Genesis 3, I have to point out verse 15. And I want to I show you, I believe that this is the first foreshadowing of the gospel message, that even as God was punishing Adam and Eve and actually punishing us too, for our sin, as he did that he gave a glimpse of the victory that would happen in Christ later in verse 15, it's, maybe you don't see it clearly it, it's kind of in, uh, in shadowy terms there, but he talks about in the future, how the offspring of the woman, who we now know as Jesus Christ, would crush the head of the serpent And that's exactly what happens in the victory that comes through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Through that, we have victory. So even if God was punishing, he gave this little glimpse, this little foretaste of the victory that would be ours in Christ. And that's just because of the nature of God and his character. It wasn't that Adam and Eve sinned and that God became angry forever at them. Yes, God punished, but God also wanted to to show us the way of life that he would give, which he has clearly revealed to us now through Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the end of my side note there. Eve had to choose. Would she take God at his word? Well, unfortunately, we see that she chose the wrong path. She listened to the devil. Why did Adam and Eve disobey God? That's a question I want to ask, and as we move into our next section now, I've come up with three reasons in part B here as we're analyzing what went wrong got three reasons first reason is that they didn't trust God's goodness God simply asked Adam and Eve not to eat fruit from one tree there are all these other trees and there was one tree he said don't eat but then they looked closely at that tree and they said wait a second that one looks good a- and they started to think maybe God is withholding something from us that's good the fruit was attractive. It appealed to their desire and Satan, the serpent, used that desire to lead them astray. And Eve chose to follow her desire instead of God's word. And notice how it happened. Step one was doubting God's goodness. Step one was her thinking, wait a second, that, that looks good and God said no. Maybe God's wrong. Then right after she did that, she was vulnerable to believing the lie. Satan came in and mixed truth with a lie, and she believed it, and she took from it. Now, this is all too common for us humans. So often, we might feel that God is withholding something good for us, and that is certainly a lesson i want you to remember over the next three weeks. As we look at these other topics, we might think that there's a better way. We might think, if I were God, I would do it this way. And God does it that way? Really? But we need to be so careful with that because if we question God's goodness we're setting ourselves up to be led astray we're setting ourselves up to believe a lie and again the lie can sound so rational Uh, you've seen people we've probably all seen people tell you what they believe and it's all based on a lie but after that it sounds rational we need to be careful about that we all want good things but we have to follow God's word We need to trust that God is good in His way. So that leads me into my next point, that that first, they didn't trust in God's goodness, but second, Adam and Eve didn't trust God's word. Even if Adam and Eve were looking at this tree and saying, oh, it looks good, they should have at least remembered, wait a second, God said no. Maybe God had a reason for doing that. Unfortunately, that's not what happened for them. God's word is a rightful authority in our lives. Think about this. The world came into existence, how? through God's word we wouldn't exist if it weren't for God's word if God didn't say let there be light, there would be no light God's word created this whole place where we live created us according to Jesus in John twelve forty eight, we will be judged according to his words the Bible describes itself as the word of God and it uses other descriptions truth, it's eternal it's a lamp and a light for us and it's life. I've got scripture references for all of those. Let me repeat them. Truth, life, eternal, and a lamp and a light for us. Jesus himself, when he was tempted by Satan, much like Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan, what did Jesus do to resist temptation? He quoted scripture. Proverbs 19.27 says, Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So like I said before, and I want you to get this, we injure ourselves if we don't cling to God's word. If we neglect or reject God's word, and, and those are two different things, but they're, they're two distinct possibilities for us. If we neglect or reject God's word, we invite Satan to lead us astray. Now that sounds harsh. That sounds like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and it doesn't feel that way to us. but but I think that it's true and I want to repeat it if we neglect or reject God's word we invite Satan to lead us astray it might feel to us like we're just trying to go our own way or you know if we we set our Bibles aside for a while it might just feel like ah you know I, I know it well enough already or you know do I really need to read that old book what if we neglect or reject God's word? It's, we might as well just go to Satan and say, okay, uh, I'm straying from truth. Would you please lead me astray? Now, that's, that's scary to think of it that way, but I'm, I'm trying to convince you of what we need to be doing <coughs> instead, that we need to be committed to God's word and listening to his truth. Okay, so Adam and Eve, they didn't trust God's goodness. They didn't trust God's word. And then third, Adam and Eve discredited God's right to judge. They discredited God's right to judge. God said they'd die if they ate that fruit. The serpent said they wouldn't die. Now who is right? Well, obviously God was because we all know that Adam died eventually and Eve died too. And, and we die now too as a result of sin. But here's the problem. Adam and Eve thought they could be the judge for a while. Perhaps they thought to themselves, it's, it's just fruit and, and it looks so good. God wouldn't mind if I just had you know one little bite of it, would he? God wouldn't judge me for that. No, 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 no. If I were God, and I saw this good fruit, and I saw somebody trying to eat it, I'd just say, oh, they're just trying something new. And I wouldn't kill them for it. You see, that's how we start to rationalize things in our mind. Oh, I, I can do this for a little bit, or lots of other people are doing that, and I might as well too. But when we do that, we really... Put ourselves on the judgment seat and declare that act to be okay. The only problem is that sometimes God says it's not okay. And we need to listen to Him. So we need to remember this important point we are not the judge. God told Adam and Eve something that was good, they didn't recognize it as good, and they rejected God's word. And there were consequences. So one of the things, one of, part of my heart here in entering into this sermon series is just to get you to understand that God's word is good, that sometimes it may not feel like it, sometimes it might feel like a burden, or sometimes it might feel like God's asking us to do things we don't want to do, but I hope that we all know that God's word is good, and it's good for our souls to take him at his word. Okay, so three things went wrong with Adam and Eve. They didn't trust God's goodness, they didn't trust his word, and they discredited God's right to judge. And here's what I'd like to say as we move towards application. If we don't believe that God is good, or if we don't believe that God's word is authoritative, or if we don't believe that God has the right to judge, we don't really believe in God at all. Now that might sound harsh, but let let me say it this way. If we've come up with our own picture of God, where he doesn't have our best interests in mind, or where his word is just a suggestion and not an authority, or where we don't believe that he'll really punish evil, if we have come up with that picture of God, we have come up with a different God than the God of the Bible. So let me move on to application then. As as we've seen that truth, we've, we've now seen what went wrong with Adam and Eve, and with our lives as well, because we all fall into these same things sometimes. We need to realize that we all face the temptation to neglect or reject God's word. Satan is real, and he is persuasive. It's interesting to me in this passage that Satan tempted Adam and Eve through one of the creatures in the garden. And I wonder what Adam and Eve must have been thinking in chapter 3-1 when the serpent starts talking to them. Well, I wonder what, what Eve was thinking. Oh, I'm just having a nice, lovely conversation with one of God's creatures here. It just happens to be an animal who's talking to me. But you know, it, was, it may have seemed very normal to her. Or I'm guessing it didn't seem evil to her. And that's the way it goes so often for us that evil doesn't always appear evil. Because Satan works with deception and he tries to get us to to think that what he's telling us is good. And we're vulnerable to this because our flesh has desires. And when Satan starts to pick out one of those desires and twist God's word and try to get us to believe something, we can be in trouble. God's word helps us distinguish between truth and error. We're not left alone. It's not that Satan tempts us and he comes up with these wonderful arguments and we're helpless. It's not like that. God has given us his word so that we can stand strong and resist the devil. So we need to take God at his word. Uh, this next line I put in your bulletin if you're trying to fill out the blanks here. but It's an oxymoron to claim to have faith in God yet disobey his commands an oxymoron, something that that just doesn't fit together. It's an oxymoron to claim to have faith in God, yet disobey his commands. Remember, we studied 1 John just a little bit ago, and in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, this is love for God to obey his commands. If we don't obey God's commands, we don't love him, and we don't have faith in him. Now, there are parts of God's word that some people don't want to obey. And we might be thinking about, you know, pointing our fingers at other people out there who don't want to obey God's word, but we need to be careful because this can be us. When our desires get in the way, this can be us not wanting to take God at his word. So we need to listen to God's word and we need to trust in his goodness. Do we know better than God? No. That's, that was Adam and Eve's problem, and it's our problem too. Sometimes our desires are so strong and we want to chart a course that's different than what God has for us. The theologian David Atkinson said, the serpent touches us at the one thing in our lives where we would rather God did not trouble us. I had to reread that when I looked at it because li- listen, to the, listen to it again. The serpent touches us at the one thing in our lives where we would rather God did not trouble us. So the, the serpent is picking out things in us that he knows that we might have trouble with before God. Satan knows our weaknesses and he is going to lie and twist and deceive and try to get us to follow the wrong path. And he'll do it at a point where we're going to be vulnerable before God. Satan always offers us something that might look good but he never has the power to produce it. God, on the other hand, knows what's best for us. And faith means trusting in God even when we think we might have a better way. So do we trust in God's goodness? Do we trust that the things that God tells us are actually for our good? That's going to be an important question to remember, especially in a couple weeks when we talk about sexuality. Are the things that God has told us to do and not to do good for us? Anybody who's ever faced temptation knows that there's a temptation to take something that might feel good. But we need to be careful about listening to what God has said. So do we trust God's word? And I'm not asking for a a show of hands here or for a yes right now. I'm asking something deeper. I'm asking whether we're going to go the extra mile to get to know it and whether we're going to humble ourselves before it Think back to Eve's response in verse 1. The, the serpent in verse 1 tried to trick her. What could have Eve done? Well, a couple things she could have done. She could have gone to Adam and said, Honey, uh, there's this talking animal here that's trying to ask me about uh, this fruit here. What was it, honey, exactly that God said specifically about the, the stuff that we could eat and not eat? And then Adam could have reminded her. Or Eve could have just gone right to God. It looks like they had clear unhindered fellowship with God at that point she could have just gone to God and asked Him it's the same thing for us if we're on a course and we don't know that it's right or not we can go to God we can go in prayer and ask Him we can go to His word and search His truth or we can go to a trusted Christian friend and ask them to help us or some combination of all three of those things but whatever the case we need to be humble we must not assume that we know what's best Humility goes a long way in our walk with God. And that's why I'm such an advocate of daily reading God's Word. Reading God's Word and asking Him to show us His ways, I think is one of the greatest acts of humility. For us to go before God, open our Bible, and say, Okay, God, this is your truth. Show me how to live accordingly. I think is one of the most humble things that we can do. It's good for us to take time to get it right. That's, again, why I encourage you to read from God's Word daily. And if you're not in that habit yet, I'd say just start small, maybe five minutes a day or one chapter a day. But get in the habit of reading God's Word daily. Because remember, the, the two dangers here are that we would neglect or reject God's Word. If we're committed to God's word, we won't neglect it. If we're committed to daily getting into God's word, we're we're not going to neglect it. And if we're humble before God's word, we're not going to reject it. So making that plan to get daily in God's word and then humbling ourselves before God's word is the way that we remind ourselves to listen to him. God has a good plan for us, and we will know it to be good if we follow him. And think about God's good plan. If we take the 30,000-foot view of the Bible, God created paradise, but we messed it up with our sin. And I I say we because we, just like Adam and Eve, sinned. But God, in his goodness, wants to redeem us, to save us, to make us holy, so that we can live with him now, and he he, he gives us a promise of eternal life for all who follow him, so that we can live with him forever. His plan, even though he knows that we messed up, is for us to be made right and to be with him forever. We need to listen and submit. Satan is ready to deceive us at any turn. But we can't just blame him because we know that God has given us his word so that we can follow him. And I have every reason to trust God's word. Now, I I haven't gotten into much of that today about why We can trust God's Word, but I'll just say one piece of it right now. That if you commit to being regular in reading God's Word and humbly submitting yourself to it, you too will see that it's good. I guarantee you that. I've been reading God's Word on a daily basis now for about 20 years, and I know that His Word is good. The more I read it, the more I know it to be true. That the God of the universe has revealed Himself to us, He's revealed truth to us, so that we can know Him and live in the goodness that He wants us to live in and to experience the blessings that He wants us to experience. The danger is that instead of trusting in God and His good plan and the authority of His word, that we would choose our own course and live according to what we think is best. That's why we're going to look at the topics of hell, sexuality and abortion in the upcoming weeks because we don't know what's best. We need to listen to what God says. Now, the good news is that we can live in the blessings of God if we follow him rightly and take him at his word. So would you pray with me? Father, we praise you again that you have revealed yourself to us. Jesus, we thank you that you came to reveal the truth of God to us, that you came also to save us from our sins, that we might have eternal life by giving our lives to you. And God, I pray that every one of us would follow you, that every one of us would know you and love you and walk with you and that even on a daily basis that we would be submitting ourselves humbly before you, but reading your word and applying it rightly in our lives. Teach us how to do that, God. Teach us not to trust in our own ways, but in your ways, and to believe that you are good and that your word is good. And may we submit to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now just one final note here before we close. uh, As we're going to get into these next three topics in the next three weeks, my intent is not to make anybody feel bad about anything that they've either done or believed in their past. That's, that's not my point at all. My point is to simply show the truth of God so that we can embrace it and moving forward, live according to the truth. So please know that's my heart and, and uh, I'll be praying for you and uh, would you also please pray for me as I address these topics in the coming weeks. So, uh,